singing this morning. And uh, if you notice, there was a few faces in the choir that are usually sitting over here. I appreciate them helping uh, this morning as well. I appreciate the song, Press On. It won't be very long. And uh, I believe that with all of my heart that it won't be very long until Christ comes to get his bride. I'm a believer in that. And uh, I still do not know what will be left to go through before he comes. But I believe he's to come soon. Part of the song that struck my heart this morning was this. It was the word press on, the phrase press on. When you are pressing, it means there is resistance. The songwriter encouraged the believer that in spite of the opposition, in spite of the resistance that we will face, to press on. It won't be long until things change and change drastically. And uh, opposition is part of the Christian life. Christ said very plainly, they're going to hate you because they hate me. And he prepared us for that opposition and he prepared us for the persecution that would be. And I'm thankful that in every place of trial and every place of hardship that Christ goes with us into those places of hardship with encouragement, with encouragement that says this will not last long. Just keep your eyes on the prize, so to speak, and trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. So I'm thankful, thankful today for His goodness. Miss Edith. Amen. 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 
Pray for Miss Edith's family, her brother. I believe I heard you say you prayed the Lord would bring him home safely from the war one time, and he did. I know we're not talking one-on-one with all these other people here, but I'd say this to you. He's saved and going to heaven. One of these days the Lord's going to take him home safely from the war again. He'll take him safely from the war again. We've been called to fight a good fight, the war of good warfare. And the Lord will take him home safely from the war again. But you pray much for Miss Edith and for her family. I appreciate how she just brags on the Lord, even in, even in hard times. She's talking about how good he is, and I appreciate that. You have your Bibles this morning. The book of Philippians is where you'll find our text. I want to say just a word about something I was reading just this morning here at church. Obadiah Holmes was one of the great uh, Baptist history men and uh, was uh, to be scourged for doing Christian things, telling the gospel, proclaiming that gospel, told him, told him if he would either pay a fine or either he would be scourged for what he had done. And Obadiah Holmes refused to pay Refused to pay the fine. And uh, that resulted in them scourging him openly for the cause of Christ. This will take us back to last Sunday morning's message about denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following the Lord. So they had a public scourging of Obadiah Holmes. And after they finished the beating of Obadiah, he said, You've scourged me as if it were with roses to those men who laid the whip to his back. He said, it was like you whipped me with roses. And he honored the Lord even in scourging and in difficulties and in hardships. And I thought about even at the end of that, two men came to his assistance to help him, were fined because they were helping this man who preached the gospel. Those days may be coming again. We don't think that those things could happen. This is in the Baptist church history. But Obadiah Holmes said he was so grateful to be scourged for the cause of Christ. He said, it's as if you whipped me with roses. I'm okay with that. Amen. And I appreciate those that have gone before us to give us the opportunity that we have to be here this morning. Amen. You've never stopped and read the stories of those pictures hanging on the wall. You ought to do that. It'd encourage your heart. Philippians chapter number 1 this morning is where our text is. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 12 and ask the Lord to help us in the service. Paul said, But I would that I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let me say right here and interject that don't you think those men that girded up Obadiah Holmes and helped him after he was beaten were encouraged to go on for the Lord when they heard him say, It's like you whipped me with roses. Courage them and strengthen them. That's what Paul 
is saying it's happened here. He said, some are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I walk not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father, I thank you once again for the day and for the privilege, God, that you've given us to be in your house this morning. We do thank you, Lord, for these that have gathered here, uh, Lord, on a bad weather day, but God, they've come, they've uh, come to hear from your word, they've not come to hear my ideas or thoughts, but Lord, they've come to hear from you this morning, so we pray, God, that you'd fill us with your spirit, pray you'd fill my mind, my heart, fill my mouth, Lord, this morning with words, God, that would be pleasing unto you. We do ask you, God, to recall to our minds those things that we've studied. God, I pray you'd allow us to preach the message, Lord, the way that we feel like you've given it to us, and I pray, Lord, that somehow, some way. Somebody would get help for their life today. We pray especially, Lord, for the ones that may be lost and do not know you. God, I pray today might be the day you'd remove the scales from their eyes. Let them see clearly, Lord, that they are a sinner and that you are a wonderful Savior. And draw them to yourself, Lord, that they may be born again. I do pray for Miss Edith's family this morning, for her brother. I pray you'd have your will and way there. God, that your name would be glorified through that situation somehow. Now move and direct, Lord, in all that we do and say. We'll thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. I want to talk just a minute about the history of the book of the Philippians, give you uh, some background before we try to preach uh, what I feel like uh, that I need to preach to you this morning. Uh, Paul is the author of the letter, and it is not questioned. Even by the higher critics, he makes it clear that this is Paul and Timotheus uh, in verse number one. And uh, Paul wrote the letter, and it is said of the book of Philippians that it is a friendship letter, that it was a letter he wrote to friends. Uh, that is, it contains a standard letter opening. It has an introduction, it has a body, and it has a conclusion as if we were to write a letter uh, to our friends. So Paul is not writing to people that he is unfamiliar with. He is not writing to a church that he's never been in. 
He's not writing to a church that he does not understand what their problems are and what they are doing for the Lord, but he's writing to friends. He's writing to people that he knows their heart. He knows their desires. He knows their work, and he understands their feelings and where they are. Paul will waste no time in showing his love for this church. He, uh, in the opening verses, verses 3 through 8 in particular, uh, Paul thanks God upon every remembrance of this church. He said, always in every prayer of mine for you, I'm making requests. I'm praying and, and asking you or asking God to help you. He said uh, in verse 8, he said, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you. Paul makes no secret that he loves the church at Philippi. <clears throat> they were supporters of his ministry. They had financially and faithfully supported him in prayer. They had given to him uh, in their lives. They had lifted him up before the Lord and for that, Paul demonstrates his great love uh, toward this church. Uh, listen, they had been faithful to support financially. They demonstrated a willingness to suffer with him. And those things encouraged this preacher while he was out planning other churches to know that there was a church somewhere that was up under him, supporting him, and doing for him was a great encouragement. Brother Steve Dagenhart taught me many years ago uh, to never discredit the work that my home church still does for me. I've been apart from them now for uh, many, many years, probably 17 years or longer that I've been apart uh, from my home church. But uh, my pastor will call me and say, uh, Preacher, I just wanted you to know I'm praying for you. And if there's ever anything you need, uh, you just let us know and we'll take care of you. My home church and Paul feels an encouragement and an uplifting from this church at Philippi. I want to say a word about the theology that's found in the book of Philippians. It calls Christians, the overall book calls Christians to unity and how to pursue unity in the church. That is the theological teaching of the book of Philippians. It is the great doctrine that can be found in chapter 1 and verse number 27. He said, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. Paul said, I want you to be together, unified for the cause of Christ, whether I'm there or whether I'm not. This is the theological statement that Paul is making to the church at Philippi. He will tell us very clearly that unity can only be accomplished when we lay aside self, when we become humble and think of others more than we do of us. When others become more important to us than we are, then true unity can be experienced. This is the overall idea that Paul is promoting in the book of Philippians. It is by faith alone, on Christ's work alone, and not anything believers have done, and it puts us all on the same level. We are all on the same level, lost without Christ. 
but born again in Christ, and we ought to be able to recognize that and be for each other. Encouraged. Paul is doing that. We're all on the same level, and it puts the focus for us on the power of Christ's death, his resurrection, his gospel, knowing that these things should prevent us from thinking too highly of ourselves. We're no good thing. There's nothing, Paul said, that dwelleth in me that is good. He said, so understanding that, we should remove the focus from us, concentrate on each other, be united for the cause of Christ. Lay aside differences and say, hey, let's go for Jesus. You can find the beginning of the church at Philippi in Acts chapter number 16. It was here that God moved greatly. You know the story of the Philippian jailer, how that God shook the jail, opened the doors. Paul and Silas were still there and they were singing and praying and talking to the Lord and the Philippian jailer got saved and a church sprung in Philippi from that great move of God. It was Paul's first church on European soil. Paul did visit the church later on, at least two more occasions. And on those occasions, Paul was there to strengthen these believers, to encourage them who had encouraged him so often. You can find those accounts in Acts chapter number 20, also in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 13. So in verses 1 through 11, Paul speaks much about his affection for these believers. In verse 12 through 18, he spent time talking about the advancement of the gospel. He said, I am in affliction, I am suffering, I'm in hardship. He said, but nevertheless, the gospel is going forth, whether it be in contention, whether it be to really preach about how good he is. He said, the gospel is being preached. That is a hard thing for me when I feel like folks are mocking what I'm preaching. When they are saying, oh, he preaches this mess, or I don't believe that, and that's how he preaches. That's a hard thing for me. But Paul said, Paul said, whether they mean it for good or bad, he said, at least they're talking about the gospel. Amen. You can go out of here and say, oh, that preacher says he believes you can only get saved by faith in Christ Jesus alone, through the scriptures alone, uh, out of God's glory alone. You can go away and say that, and you don't have to believe that. You can believe uh, that you can work to get salvation if you want to. Uh, you can believe that you did something in your salvation. Uh, but if you go out the door saying, my preachers believes that you can only get saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you're meaning it for good or bad, the gospel's being preached. Amen. That's Paul. He said, my affection for these believers, uh, it showed the advancement of the gospel. And where Paul talks plainly of his affliction, he also says in verses, uh, he also says that that brings him an affirmation of joy. It causes something uh, to swell up in him uh, that makes him happy while he's even chained up in prison. I'm going to get to the message in a minute. 
This joy we read about with Paul is not dependent upon his circumstance. He's in prison, most likely a Roman prison, the way of the wording is. Some believe he was in prison in Ephesus, but most likely Paul was imprisoned in Rome. He was in chains of the present, but he had confidence in his future. Paul said here in verse, uh, let me find the verse real quickly, verse uh, number uh 26, I believe it is, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Paul said, I'm rejoicing because I know I'm not staying here. I'm coming to you again. He was looking past his chains to the confidence of his future. The thought alone provided the idea that even in bonds, Paul is living between two worlds. This is where I want to preach this morning. Paul said, while I'm here in bonds, while I've remembered my affection for the church at Philippi, while the advancement of the gospel is happening in the middle of my affliction, Paul said, I am, I am affirmed in myself that I have joy. And he said in verse number 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I walk not. For I... I've been a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. He is, this verse alone give me the idea in my mind of Paul is living between two worlds. His main priority, live or die, was to see Christ glorified. He clearly states that he simply wishes to not be ashamed. He sits in prison, riding with great assurance that this place in his life will come out with deliverance one more time. He is assured that God is going to be with him, but he makes it clear to those in which he's riding that he is between two worlds. He said, I am in a strait betwixt two. And that translates to this terminology. Paul said, I am hard pressed where I am. He said, this is not an easy place to be. I'm looking around at dungeon walls. I'm feeling the moisture of the dampness of this cell. I'm smelling the putridness of sewage running in on me. I'm living in chains bound for the glory of God and for preaching the gospel. But he said, if I live, it'll be to Christ. And if I die, it will be gain for me because I'll go to him. And he said, I am hard pressed because I want to do both. I want to live for Christ, but I want to go to him real bad. I want to go to him real bad. Now, in almost everything that I preach, I tend to give a negative before I give a positive. And uh, today will be no different. Our Christian world today, Christians, me and you, and every Christian that you know, we show more of a desire to be here than we do to go there. I cannot remember who it was that said it. 
But they were told one time that they had become so heavenly minded, they had become no earthly good. And I don't know anybody like that. Amen. I don't. I don't know anyone that is so heavenly minded that all they think about is going to be with Jesus and they are so much of a Jesus fanatic that they help no one on earth. I know people that are too attached to earth to think about heaven. Our tent stakes are driven deep. Uh, we have done exactly the opposite of what the children of Israel did in the Old Testament. They pitched tents and built altars. We build houses and make less of altars and less of the things of God. We are planted firmly here. But Paul demonstrates the type of Christian that the Philippian people had no doubt were and should be. And Paul said in the middle of this great assurance, he said, I'm coming out of here. But Paul said in this affliction, he said to be relieved of this affliction, he was counting on the church had to come together in unity and pray for him. Look at, look at verse, uh, verse number 16, I believe. Uh, Paul said, uh, the one preached, no, I'm sorry, that's the wrong verse. But Paul said uh, that he was, uh, camp, verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. Church. He said, church, I'm in a hard spot. I'm in jail. I've got a desire to depart and go to heaven, but I also know it's more needful for me to come to you. Either one will be all right. If I live, I'll preach Christ. If I die, I'll go to him. He said, but I'm counting on getting out of here by your prayer. Now, in our day, we'd come together and we'd have a meeting. All right. Do I hear some comments from the floor as to how we ought to pray for Paul? Should we pray God just take him on home? I mean, he's in a desire. He's got a desire to go to heaven. He's in a straight betwixt two. He wants to go be with Jesus, but he feels like he needs to be here with us. Shouldn't we just pray that Paul would go ahead and die a martyr's death and go on to be with the Lord so he can quit suffering down here? Somebody else would say, no, I like Paul's preaching too much. He's helping too many people. We need to pray God shake the foundations of that place, get him out of there, bring him back to us, let him preach the gospel one more time. Ah, oh, we've heard every message he's ever preached. He don't do anything but preach the gospel every time we come together. He don't have anything new. He don't have anything fresh. Let's just pray God take him on to heaven. That's what we do in our day. But Paul was counting on unity among the Philippian believers that they would come together and pray together in corporate prayer, loving one another, seeking the will of the Father that he may once again come to them. He was depending upon them. I catch that, them. He was depending upon a group. Paul didn't write a letter to brother so-and-so and say, I need you to pray. 
He wrote a letter to the church and said, I need y'all. I need y'all. I need you to lay aside your differences and pray for me. I need you to come together as one and pray for me. I need you to corporately fix your minds on asking God how to let me out of here that I might once more preach the gospel. Paul is living between two worlds. But living between those two worlds, he's leaning on the church. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're saved, you too are living between two worlds. And many have made little of the church. Don't lean on it anymore. They don't come to it anymore. They stay at home. Watch Joel Osteen, God help them. Amen. They stay home and they... There's, there's much emphasis, but I've heard it said many times today. said, well, we can just home church. We'll stay at home and we'll read some scripture and we'll pray and we'll sing a hymn and we'll do all that. Friend, if you do that, I'm not saying you're lost, but I would say this. You are not drawing the full benefits that God intended for you to have by the camaraderie of the church in itself, the camaraderie that God has given us to come together with like-minded people and to be united for the cause of Christ. Paul said that while we're living between two worlds, we need to depend on each other. We need to pray for each other. Do you think Paul was sitting down there writing a letter to the Philippian church without praying for them? No. He was lifting them up before the Lord. He said, he said in uh, verse number three, he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Paul was thinking about the Philippians often. And he said, every time I think about you, I thank God for you. And he goes on to say, always in every prayer of mine. He said, every time that I bow my knees and whisper toward heaven, he said, church at Philippi, you are in my mind, you are in my thoughts, you are in my prayers. I am constantly begging God how to help you, how to encourage you, how to strengthen you, how to build you up, not tear you down. Paul said, I love you that much. And I'm praying for you. Now listen, Somebody at Philippi probably didn't like Paul. But Paul prayed for him anyway. And Paul's asking them to please lay that aside and pray for me anyway. That's what he's saying. Church, I, I'm dependent. My release is dependent upon you praying and seeking the Lord. Verse 16 tells us clearly that Paul was in affliction and to be relieved of that, he was counting on the church. Unity. This is where and why Paul spoke of assurance while he was in prison. So why would Paul, or why would I say that Paul is living between two worlds? He understood that heaven would be an advancement. He understood that in the presence of God, there would be an abundance of living. He said Christ came into the world that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Paul understood that it was not, that death was not a bad thing, but it was advancement from this world to the next world and that there he would have abundance of life in Christ. 
And he said, I want to go. I could ask the question in here this morning, how many of you want to go to heaven? Say amen. And I mean with lip out, rip out a hearty amen. I'm ready to go. The world is sickening. I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of living in the mess that we're living in. But listen, at the same time, preacher, I've got family that are lost. I've got friends that don't know Jesus. I want to go to heaven, but I want them to go with me. I want to witness to them one more time. I want to tell them Jesus loves them one more time. I want God to deal with their hearts one more time. You understand now, living between two worlds. Living between two worlds. In heaven, Jesus will call no meetings to determine what we ought to do or how we ought to do it. In heaven, no one will question the authority of Jesus. In heaven, I'll not get short of breath and tired. I'll not have a headache. I'll not have any pains. I'll not have any afflictions. There'll not be any hardship. There'll not be any taxes. Hallelujah. There'll not be any of those things in glory. Now, how many want to go? Yeah, praise God. We're, in, we're, in, we're, in, we're living between two worlds. But you don't know what I've been through this week. My mother texted me yesterday and said, I just dropped your brother off at a mental health urgent care, and I left him. She said, he'll call me as soon as he knows anything. About two hours later, mom texted me back and said, they've taken your brother to a seven-day detox program. And after that, they'll move him somewhere else. I said, mom, I'm sorry I'm so far away and you're having to deal with this all by yourself. I said, I feel terrible that I can't be there, that I can't do. She said, son, all we need to do is pray and trust the Lord. Listen, in this moment, I've got a desire. I've got a desire just to go be with him. But at the same time, I want my brother to be sober. I want him to be right. I want him to be saved and know that he's going to heaven. I want those things to be. And I know that for him to hear the gospel message, he needs me to be here instead of there. So I'm living in between two we're living between two worlds and what do we need more than anything we need the church to realize that that we're here between two worlds and the church the church is the support group for those of us that are between two that feel like we're losing our minds we're supposed to be for each other when I need something, I'm supposed to be able to stand up here and say, church, I need you to pray for this and have confidence that you will. When you need something, you're supposed to be able to raise your hand and say, preacher, I want y'all to pray for my uncle. I want you to pray for my brother, my sister, and have confidence that the church will do that. Listen, when you're in a bad place, you ought to know that this is the refuge. This is the place you can come and rest. Talking to a preacher this week, 
and he was talking about how that the church had told him they was taking him on staff at the first of the year he resigned the place he was at to take this new position at the first of the year and here it is almost the end of January and the other church has not hired him yet they've not put him on staff yet and he's lost his income he's lost the church where he was and he's sitting there and he said it's hard it's difficult but here's what he said to me he said but every time brother Richie I get behind that pulpit he said it just all goes away all of the worry all of the stress all of the fret all of the fear all of the anxiety all of the depression all of the discouragement all of the trials disappear it's not necessarily the pulpit it's the church it's rest it brings us to a place of being able to live between here and yonder with an encouragement in our lives until he comes Till he comes. Pretty fitting song this morning. He's the only reason I live, but oh, what a reason. That's Paul's life, folks. Paul said, I've determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, he's the only reason that I'm living. He said, I'm not trying to advance my kingdom. He said, I'm trying to advance his kingdom. There's popular preachers of our day talking about strengthening our kingdom. I don't have a kingdom. Christ has a kingdom and he's made me an ambassador out of that kingdom. I'm to tell everyone everywhere that Jesus saves and we've got a home in heaven. If we'll believe and trust in him, it's his his kingdom, not mine or yours. But in the meantime, until we get to that kingdom, we're living between the two. Somewhere floating through space on a planet called Earth, He's allowed us a space of grace and mercy to live. He said, In the last days, things are going to wax worse. And worse, men's going to be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. He said they're going to they're going to be without natural affection. Let me let me say it to you this way: they're going to put babies in trash bags and put them in dumpsters while they're still alive, without natural affection. Listen to me. He said they're going to be women that's going to become with child. And they're going to go down to a clinic and they're going to have that baby killed and they're going to go on living their life as if nothing happened to them. And they'll call it women's rights without natural affection. He said, these are the days that we're living in. And friend, listen, you and I are living right smack dab in the middle of those days where they're lining up to kill babies. Instead of that, they'll fight over a blessed wall while babies are dying. They'll fight over some silly bill while babies are dying. They care not about natural affection. We have to live between the two. Brother Gary and Miss Carol got the privilege of holding a new one this week. And no doubt, no doubt, when you pull one up in your arms, how could anybody kill this thing? How could anybody destroy this life? 
Listen, I, I'm not, I don't want to be political this morning. I don't like it. But the reality is we're living in those days when we are between two worlds. When we have to see it, we have to rub. So we are living in the days, uh, at least in where adultery has been cast to the side. It means nothing as sin to people anymore. They just keep on doing it. Fornication's been accepted. Uh, schools are handing out contraceptives. Uh, we're living in that day. We're between two. We're living in days. People don't care what they do or how they do it. And if you're saved, you're living between two worlds. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? Paul, Paul said, number one, he said, we ought to be unified. We ought to be praying for one another. But listen, he's talking about this advancement that he would have. In Paul, if Paul had any problem in our day, it's that Paul knew the answer for his own life. Paul said, I've got to stay. That's what he said in verse 25, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and the joy of your faith. Paul said, Philippians, I'm going to have to stay, not for my sake, but for yours. Listen, God ain't snatched you out of here yet because you've got a reason to be here. I'll not get into all that. I don't know what reasons are. I wouldn't try to tell you what your reason is. Number one reason everybody's born again is to tell others about him. Amen. He saved you so you could tell somebody you're saved. He didn't save us to sit there. He didn't save you for you to continue in the same mess that you've always been in. Matter of fact, if you said he saved you and you continued in the same mess, you ain't saved because that ain't how he works. The answer was clear. It's going to lead to unity. It'll go out for the furtherance of joy, for the furtherance of faith, and it'll lead to unity in the church. And in the meantime, Paul is still living between the two. He's hard-pressed, wanting to go, but needing to stay. When my wife became pregnant with our first child, told the Lord, and I meant this, and I told him this. I said, Lord, if you can't save this child, I'd rather not have it. I don't want the burden or the responsibility of knowing that my child may die and go to hell. I said, preacher, what's that got to do with anything? I'm talking about being hard-pressed. I'm living between two worlds, and God, if you're going to give me kids while I'm in this world, at least assure me that you're going to save them so that I don't have to live with that on top of, not, of having to live with all of the other. I want my kids to be saved, born again. Now I'm at the place, Brother Johnny, when I say, God, save my grandchildren. By June, if good Lord wills, I'll have three that's going to need Jesus in their hearts. It's a hard place to live between two places, but God gave us the church to help us while we're here. And I'm not talking about the invisible church, whatever that is. I don't know what that is. Church, I never can say that word right. It's the called out ones. It's saved, born again believers. 
You're not invisible. I can see you. Amen. God didn't give us some make-believe something out there in the stars to, uh, to lean on. He gave us the church. He gave us each other. That's like how when you think of the military and you think about he's deployed these troops over there. Let me tell you what a troop is. Uh, it's a person. Uh, it's somebody. Uh, and that's who they have uh, to lean on and to fight with and to cry with and to laugh with until their time is up. And that's what God's given us while we're in between two worlds. And let me tell you what's sad. Let me tell you what's sad if I could. There's a whole lot of people that were once in the church that now have no confidence in the church. They've lost confidence in the church. Wouldn't it be terrible to be dropped off in Iraq, in the middle of a war zone, and you had no confidence in the other troops that were fighting around you, and you separated yourself from them, and you were faced with fighting 35 men by yourself. Had to almost be hell on earth. Because in that very moment, you know, I'm about to die, but I'm going to have to do everything I can to take as many of them with me when I go. That'd be your mindset. But there are people, there are people living right now that no doubt are as saved as me and you, but they are sitting alone. They are on a battlefield by themselves. They are living between two worlds with confidence in no one to help them, to encourage them. Because somebody somewhere said, oh, I saw them sin. They failed, they faltered, they messed up. Brethren, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. If you're lingering around with that mess in your heart, you think you're spiritual, but if you can't restore them, you're not spiritual. You're not. Justin, have you ever sinned? Have you? He nodded his head right here in public. We could do one of two things. We could say, out with you. Remove yourself from our presence. Or we could say, Justin, we've all sinned, man. God will forgive us. God will take us in. God will encourage us. He'll make us stronger. And I'm going to stand with you. We could do that. One of two things we'll do. And there's people sitting at home because the church said, out with you. We can't accept that type of behavior. What aggravates, you know what aggravates me about that more than anything? Is you're living in the same world they are. And you're committing some of the same sins they are. And listen, I never have read in my Bible where God considers one of them any worse than the other. He just said it was sin. Church, that's our help, that's our hope while living between these two worlds. I'm going to hurry. While you're between the two worlds, Paul says you need to watch a conversation, verse number 27. 
He said, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Your words ought to be as pure as that book you're holding in your lap. I read this. I read this. When we were talking about versions of the Bible before the, before the King James Bible came along in 1611, there was the Geneva Bible that came before that. It was at that point, at that point, it was the English version of the Bible. That's what the pilgrims brought over here. People can tell you what they want to. Take pictures of the pilgrims' Bibles in 1611 KJV. Ain't so. They brought the Geneva Bible. That's what they had. That's what they founded our country on. I may be in trouble. Amen. That's King James up there. But here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. When the translators wrote it, it was said of those translators that at that moment, the English language was in its purest form. When it was translated into the English language was when the English language was in its purest form. The words of the Word of God in the English language were translated before somebody made up some blessed cuss word, for somebody, before somebody changed the word gay from meaning happy to homosexual, before words were twisted and messed up and we came up with euphemisms and all kind of junk that makes that word seem like another. When you read that book, when you read the gospel, our English language was in its purest form at that moment. And he said, our conversation ought to be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. I don't reckon Christ ever said a wrong word to anyone. Now listen, I didn't say he didn't say some harsh words. He never said a wrong word. When he went into the temple and he overthrew the tables, he was saying all the right words. He wasn't calling them, listen, when he called the Pharisees, the Pharisees, vipers and hypocrites, he used the right words. He used all of that the right way. He said, if we're going to survive living between two worlds, our conversation needs to be as pure as the gospel of Christ himself, as it would become the gospel. It's not always that way in my life. Amen. And listen, most of us are a product of an impure English language. We're products of that. Our grammar's terrible. Half of us can't spell most of the words that we write. And listen, if that was the case 20 years ago, it's certainly the case now because somebody came up with spell check and your phone or your computer thinks you know, thinks it knows what you're thinking and you punch send and Somebody says, what? You couldn't spell it, so the thing spelled it for you, and it makes no sense. That's the product. I had a teacher in college that said to us, he said, I don't know if y'all have the ability to write or not. He said, because all you do is LOL, JK, blah, 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 on the text message. And he's right. Society right now is a product of an impure language. But right now, the words of Christ that he said our conversation ought to be was a pure conversation. It was a holy conversation. Listen, your life should be lived worthy of the gospel. This is your manner of life. 
One writer called it your citizenship. Now watch this. I have, I don't, I don't know if any of my children ever received that award or not. I don't want to make them feel bad if they did and I forgot it. But um, I've watched parents at awards day at school. Did you ever win the citizenship award? I didn't think so. I just wanted to know. I just wanted to clear that out of my mind. But listen, I go to awards day at school. One kid gets nearly every award, you know. I mean, he gets the math award, the science award. He gets every award there. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they say, we're going to give this next award to the student who is exemplifying the best behavior. He's kind to others. He's always willing to do whatever I ask him to do. I mean, he is a model student. He is, he is a model child. And all of the other students in the class look up to him and they love him and they treat him right. So this year's citizenship award goes to, and it ain't the dude that won all them other trophies. It's some little quiet child that you'd never expect to win anything. And then here's what comes next. Mom and Daddy says, out of all the awards that he could have won, I would have rather him won that one than all those others. You know why? Because Mom and Daddy's trying to make a good adult. They're trying to produce a good adult, one that listens, one that obeys, one that is able to bear responsibility, one that is kind, one that is respectful for others, one that will hold the door open when somebody's coming through. We're trying to raise that child. So is Christ. Our conversation ought to be as such that we are considered loyal citizens of another country and we're treating others right while we live between the two worlds. Listen, I'm not telling you that you won't have disagreements with people. I'm not telling you that you won't ever raise your voice at other people. But what I'm telling you, it ought to be our desire that our conversation be as pure as the gospel. This is our manner of life. It is our citizenship. It is the way we present ourselves to others. Whether Paul is present or absent, he said, live out what we are inside. We ought to live out what we say we are inside of us. We say we're Christians. Somewhere during the day, we ought to say his name or display one of his characteristics Show forth His love. Demonstrate His compassion. We ought to be able to do those things. If we'll do those things, we'll stay connected. We'll stay committed to each other. We'll be a church community. And not just single citizens of one town. I've really got one neighbor here in Landis. I Church owns the property to the right and the one kind of behind that connects to the uh, ball field property. They, they change all the time and, and uh, the new neighbors that are in there right now displayed their desire to not fellowship with us. And, uh, but I've got one neighbor to my left over there and uh, I know them. I talk to them. They watch what we do, and we watch what they do. And last week, after all that rain, I was turning the truck around. The trailer got too far back in the yard. 
and I got stuck. And I was going forward and backward, trying kids, putting boards under the tires, was doing everything we could. And all of a sudden, out of my neighbor's house, came a fella. He hopped in his four-wheel drive, drove through the yard and said, let me help you. Let me help you get out of there. We will display something. Had we have displayed hate and anger and displayed ugliness to our neighbors, they'd have probably sit over and laughed at me for being stuck instead of coming to help. All I'm saying is, folks, the church is what God gave us to lean on while we're living between two worlds. This is a community. This is a connection. This is a, a committed way of life. Living between these two worlds will display a right character till he comes. He's soon coming. We ought to be excited about that. But wouldn't you like to find yourself hooked up with other Christians leaning on each other while we're living between two worlds? While we're hard-pressed here, wouldn't it be good that we used each other as our help? As our help. I have thought since January of the preachers in this church, of Isaac and Jeffrey and Jeff and Brother Ray and Brother Ralph. And I've thought about what can we do to help each other? What can I do to help Isaac? What can I do to help Jeffrey? What can I do to help Brother Ray? What can we do to be stronger, to make sure that whatever preacher goes out of Landis we're confident that they're going out preaching the right stuff. We're confident that they are, they are founded on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're confident that their rock is steadfast and sure. We ought to be thinking of those things. I forgot Brother Bryson up there. Brother Bryson, what are we doing? What are we doing for each other? We don't have a choice but to live between the two worlds till it comes. But how we live between the two worlds is what will make it easier or harder. It will make it more joyful or more stressful. Paul used words like rejoice. He said, I rejoice and I will rejoice again. He said, I'm going to rejoice again. While he was in prison because he knew that his church at Philippi would pray for him. God gave us a church for encouragement, for strength, for help. Let's use it as such. Let's stand our feet this morning. It ought to be in these moments of invitation. This is just a little pastoral instruction. It ought to be that in the moments of invitation, that if some precious lady decides she needs to pray, that she's got the assurance that other ladies are going to come and pray with her. That's, that's leaning on each other till he comes. It ought to be that if some man come to the altar, that he's got the assurance that some of his brothers in Christ will come and pray with him. That's what Christ has given us 
while we live between two worlds. While we sing.